Welcome to the Middle Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles. And this week, I was actually in Austin, had some technical difficulties, so I wasn't able to join this episode. But Evan sat down with a good friend and past guest of ours, Mitch Stutler, who is the co-founder and CEO of Vivid Charts. Uh, and Mitch is also a special guest to us because he was our first inbound guest, which was pretty cool for us at the time. And you can go check out that episode. Uh, that's episode 48 if you want to hear about the early days of Vivid Charts. Uh, that's 101 episodes ago, which is just seems so crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago. They've come a long ways. Uh, they've raised about $2 million uh, since then. Um, and we wanted to sit down and with Mitch and just kind of catch up, see where their business is. Uh, you know, there's they're one of the few companies here in Kentucky that's, you know, venture-backed, growing very quickly. SaaS company, enterprise SaaS. There's not a whole lot of enterprise software companies, you know, in Kentucky that have raised, you know, venture capital and are growing like they are. So we wanted to sit down with them and, and hear what they're doing. So we discussed uh, the recent fundraise building a company on another platform. So they're building Vivid Charts on top of a company called ServiceNow, uh, which is a very big enterprise platform that a lot of the major companies around the world uh, are using. Uh, so we talk about what it's like to build on top of that uh, and where Vivid Charts is heading into the future. Uh, so there's a lot of different directions they could go. Uh, ServiceNow is just the beginning. Uh, there's a lot of room to grow within ServiceNow, but Vivid Charts is really doing visualization of data, which is a big problem across you know every major software platform uh, and business in general. So it's a great conversation. Yeah, and before we dive in, we're just going to get a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more. Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc and their website is www.airwing.vc all 
right, guys, we're sitting down with a familiar guest. This is our second time sitting down with Mitch. So we're looking forward to having really a follow-up discussion on where you know VividCharts is today and some of the developments you guys have had. You guys have raised some money. So we're looking forward to discussing that and talking about how the product's evolved and what it's like uh, building on top of another platform. So um, let's just kind of do a recap uh, real quick based on the last discussion we've had. Uh, refresh everybody on what VividCharts is and what problem you guys are solving. Yeah. Hey, Evan. Uh, happy to be back on here. So really what we do at Vivid Charts is we make data accessible to employees of really big businesses like Southwest Airlines and Intuit. And we do it in a way that really lightens their workload too. Uh, so we really help them automate a lot of that data visualization so they could really focus on what they got hired to do and not uh, not building things in PowerPoint and Excel. So before you guys, they were exporting this data into what SQL databases and then or Excel, and then creating their own visualizations. And somebody might be doing that without the proper training. You guys are basically doing it for them. Yeah, and there were really two routes that we saw our customers really falling back on, uh, because at the end of the day, a lot of these people who are working in these cloud platforms like ServiceNow. They're spending, you know, probably 75% of their time in these cloud platforms and that's where they're experts and that's what they do all day, every day. And they're being asked to put reports together by leadership or uh, whoever it might be. And they're sort of just left to their own devices. So what they end up doing is one of two things, like I said. So the the most painful route, and this is a little, you know, not quite as intuitive as you might think, is they're shipping the data off to the enterprise BI teams. Uh, and that's, it sounds great, but it's really problematic because it takes a lot to get those integrations set up uh, to get the data out of the cloud platforms. And at that point, you're already starting to devalue the cloud platform that you spent a lot of money to get mm -hmm. into. Uh, and with that, you're also left uh, really to the mercy of the BI team. So whatever their timeline might be, however they put things together, uh, it's really out of your control. So you might not get that report in time and there's a very good chance it's not put together the way you need it. And if something needs to be changed, you go back round trip to them. So what really ends up happening is these people just fall back onto the tools they're really used to like Excel and PowerPoint and they just do it themselves. And yeah. it takes a ton of time, but at least they control it. And so... That's what we see most of these people doing. What is ServiceNow? <laughs> it's a funny question. ServiceNow is probably like the biggest software company nobody's heard of. Yeah. Uh, so it's always pretty interesting to try to explain it. But really what it is, is it's a cloud platform that is fantastic at automating workflows. Uh, the guy who built it, Fred Luddy, really intended it to be a, a no-code citizen developer platform where these businesses could build whatever app they wanted to in and it's really just blown up from there so now they have all sorts of you know it apps in there they've got project management apps hr financial management all sorts of things in it interesting okay so last time we spoke was probably over a little over a year ago well definitely over a year ago and you guys had about four five employees so where are you guys at now talk about the state of the business right now right now we are at 12 full-time teammates uh, we've got some part-time people as well. Uh, we've got two more people joining in the next three weeks, uh, and we'll have several more throughout the summer as well. So 
It's been a pretty exciting time for us, especially, you know, I wouldn't say we were necessarily bootstrapped. We were kind of bootstrapped for, you know, two years, but uh, it's pretty crazy. Like every teammate we add, it just makes us kind of hit ourselves for not doing it sooner. So it's a, a pretty fun time for us, for sure. Yeah. And talk about, you know, you guys just raised some money. You guys are still rounding out the round, as you mentioned. Talk about that a bit. Just when did you guys start looking to raise money and what was that first? Like, what was the reason? Uh, so the reason I'd say is, you know, through the pandemic, we took a very conservative approach. Rob and I being first-time founders, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, let's just survive this. Uh, so we were very conservative last year and still just somehow managed to double the business without really adding teammates or anything like that. And that was pretty eye-opening for us, especially as we knew the pandemic was, you know, getting under control and we knew the accessibility of, you know, capital right now is, it's a really good place. So we took it as an opportunity to really flip the script and get much more aggressive in 2021 and, and going on. So I'd really say it was just that eye-opening experience of coming out of the pandemic, not even trying to really, and still doubling the business. So gasoline on the fire, you guys realized there was a, there was an opportunity to accelerate. There was an opportunity to accelerate and it was really time to do so. Yeah. And where were you looking? Where were some of the first places you looked? Were you looking within Kentucky uh, and did you have to reach outside of Kentucky? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, anytime a VC reaches out, I always like to make the connection. So I had a decent, uh, I wouldn't call it like a Rolodex, but I had some connections that just built up over the years just by making those friendly connections. And uh, the strategy was really, since I've never raised money like this before, and neither has Rob, we wanted to start off small, you know, cast a really small net in the beginning. So we could start to learn what that process was like and start getting some feedback. And so, as you know, like I reached out to you to ask if there were any local connections that you thought would be good to chat with. And you hooked us up with some good ones and really started to learn a lot pretty quickly there. And uh, what ended up happening was instead of having to go wider than that, uh, as time went on, uh, there there's really a good core set of VCs in this region. And uh, those were the ones we talked to early on and just stuck with that group and didn't have to cast a much wider net. And so you'd mentioned pretty, pretty quickly, you, you learned a few things. What were some of the immediate learnings that you had that you would pass on? The first one was we were still, and this is like a, just an ongoing fault of ours is we, we were thinking too small uh, in a lot of ways. And I always try to sandbag a little bit in everything. Cause I hate like missing forecasts or goals, but uh, you can't really do that with fundraising. You've got to show that <laughs> you've got to be a little bit more ambitious, I'd say. And also, you know, thinking small in the sense of like deal size, you know, the deal size we went out to get the feedback from everybody was, you know, if you're going through this process, you might as well raise some more money while you're at it. Uh, and it was, you know, feedback we, we took pretty seriously just because it kind of allowed us to not have to go back you know, right off the bat, you know, 12 months from now necessarily if we, if we don't want to. And this was a, a seed round, right? Yeah, it's a seed okay. round. Okay. Got it. Um, and so who, who's your uh, lead investor? Because that, that came out in a press release, right? Yep. The lead investor is Dan Beldy of Airwing Ventures. Uh, you know, we really hit it off well with him, really well connected in the enterprise space. 
and yeah, he's just, he's, he's going to be a great partner for us. Yeah. I, I've known Dan for a while. He's, he was uh, one of the investors in Fuji, one of the early investors in Fuji. Yep. And uh, he's here in Awesome Inc., which is where we're recording this. So him and I have become friends over the years. Yeah. He's, he's an awesome guy and he was at Disney prior. So he's got a lot of, a lot of awesome connections in the VC space. Uh, where else are you looking? You know, you mentioned you're still rounding out the round. Do you think you'll be able to do that within Kentucky or are you having to look outside? Yeah, we're really just kind of coming up for air yeah. <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Uh, there's really not much more to round out, but okay. uh, we've got a few things in the, you know, the, the follow on investors, uh, I think just the nature of the market right now, there's a lot of willing investors. So we're trying to find the right one strategically for, for what we're wanting to do, not just this year, but the next, you know, three and five years as well. So um, we're sort of casting a wider net with that. Uh, for sure, but also at the same time taking rifle shots instead of, you know, going and knocking on all the doors because we, we don't really feel like we need to. And you guys had won money from ServiceNow in a competition, right? Do they do any kind of like follow-on? Do they keep in track of those companies and continue to invest or is that just kind of a one-time Oh, yeah. So they, uh, yeah, we we meet with them all the time. Uh, they've been a great partner for sure. That was one of the better decisions we made was taking that investment from ServiceNow uh, through that competition that we won. And yeah, they're fantastic. One of their things they do strategically is with their store, they're really trying to get it off the ground uh, and see these companies like ours stand on their own. So they like to make those initial small seed investments like they did in us or really pre-seed, I'd say. Uh, and then they like to see us run on our own. So they've made a they basically have a track record of having those small investments like they did in us and then just supporting however they can from a partner, but they, they try not to invest too much further on. So do they have a track record of acquiring later or, or typically not? Yeah, they do. You know, that's one of those things that changes with leadership for sure, their strategy. Uh, they're at a point, in my opinion, where they're they're really looking to acquire big, you know, businesses from a headcount standpoint. Uh, they're really looking for talent. And that puts us in a fantastic spot because we really want to grow this thing on our own, you know, before we even think about that. And we want to see how, you know, how big we can get and how much of an impact we can get on our own before we really even think about that. But uh, yeah, they they have done that in the past. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now let's talk about, you know, building on top of a platform. This is where I want to spend a, you know, a good amount of time uh, discussing because I think it's it's a unique business model to to build on top of another platform. Now it's becoming more prevalent as a lot of these platforms get so big. You know, ServiceNow, Salesforce, many platforms or many companies are built on top of, you know, Facebook. Uh, and so there's massive platforms and then companies build on top of those applications that, you know, are value adds. So just from any direction you want to start, you know, what's it been like building on top of another platform? It's been awesome. I mean, if you think about it, so, you know, most of these partnerships are set up with a rev share program. So uh, that's, that's basically how we partake in the, the service now store. Uh, and some people might, you know, have a problem with that, but the way we always viewed it was, look, we don't have to have our own servers, data warehouses, infrastructure. We get to use all of ServiceNow. So that's essentially our profit margin is that like there's nothing else to it, uh, which is kind of awesome. So that's been great. It's also been fun just to see how the store has evolved. It's still so early, especially when you compare it to like a Salesforce app exchange that's very mature. Uh, it's been It's been really cool to see 
what it's done over the three years we've been in it. And, you know, when we first started, I think we were at like 300 Hmm. and now I think there's over a thousand in it. So it's, it's definitely coming along. And as with any marketplace, are they taking revenue share? Yes. Yeah, they are. Okay. And is that like 30%? Uh, It's less, it's 20%. And that really like, if you look at industry standards, if you were to do hosting or anything of that sort, it's, right at that 20%. Yeah. So I think it's really smart what service now is doing. Got it. And so you'd mentioned that, you know, you guys have bootstrapped and in the early days you did a lot of the development. Talk about that process and like their service now's documentation and like how they, you know, allowed you to do that. Cause did you have a really technical background? Not like a traditional developer would, but I had a very service now background, uh, you know, back to even when I was still in college here at UK I was doing ServiceNow consulting and development. Um, so that's been my entire background. So, to, yeah, they, they've got great documentation. They've got great support for developers, great APIs, uh, really robust platform. So, uh, honestly, what we've done is maybe a testament to their platform with how small of a team we've been. Yeah. So what about growth as far as within this platform, how do you know like who's on ServiceNow? You mentioned some of your early, your clients. Like, how did you know that they were using ServiceNow? Is ServiceNow exposing that data to you? Did you know that through your previous consulting work? Talk about what it's like to grow sales on a platform like that. Yeah, so we've got a really healthy blend of how we find our deals and our customers. You know, oftentimes they find us, which is great. Uh, ServiceNow really can't share that list directly. Uh, of who it is, but it's typically pretty obvious. I mean, I think they have something like 75% of the uh, global 2000 customers. So it's like <laughs> wow. kind of throw a dart at a board and you'll probably hit one. But something else ServiceNow has always done is when they go live with a new customer as a celebration, they make these really unique go live cakes and they, you know, put it all over social media and stuff. So anytime we see one of those, we're like, okay, there's a new prospect. So like a hashtag you can follow? Yeah, basically. Okay. You'll see it all over LinkedIn and stuff. They also do tons of case studies and webinars. And uh, so it's pretty it's pretty easy to find who's using them. I mean, they've got 7,000 customers and typically the biggest companies are using them. So is it a CIO? Is it What are the typical uh, roles of who you're selling to? Like who's your ideal customer? Yeah, you know, it typically will fall under the CIO uh, but that doesn't mean they have heavy involvement in it at all. I mean, if you think about somebody like an Intuit, uh, who's one of our customers, they, you know, they're so big that the CIO's not directly in service now. So there's there's this one role in particular that's pretty common. It's called the the platform owner, and you think about that kind of like the CEO of that cloud platform within an organization. They're kind of the gatekeepers of everything. So we're typically pretty involved with them, but we also typically interact pretty well with the the ServiceNow admins and development teams because oftentimes they're the ones who are going to be leading the charge and adopting uh, Vivid Charts, and they're the ones who are exporting their data to Excel every day. Yeah, and, and earlier you gave a high level. You know, you said that these people are exporting their data using some kind of BI tool, business intelligence tool to you know visualize this data. What you guys now allow is for this data to stay within the platform, within like a, an app that overlays on top of ServiceNow or is like a modal within it. Yep. Is that, is that how you describe it? Yeah, for sure. And if you think back to that example in that picture I painted of 
why people end up doing this in Excel and PowerPoint. The thing I didn't mention is oftentimes these reports that they're putting together are cyclical. Like they have to do this every month, every week, every quarter, whatever it is. And so with vivid charts, they set that up as a template and then it's always live. They could pull it up whenever they need it without doing any work. So it just mm. takes that manual workflow and gets rid of it. Yeah. That's sick. So you guys uh, basically have a certificate. You're, you're a certified ServiceNow partner. There's different tiers, right? You guys have reached a certain tier, right? Mm -hmm. What's that tier? We're elite, which is the the highest current. Okay. So when when that comes into play, did you notice and what's your sales cycles like? And did you notice that that made a, a pretty big difference? I haven't even really looked at it from that lens. That's an interesting question. Uh, I don't think we notice anything big with that. If anything, it's just a mechanism to credentialize yourself. You know, you say we're the highest partner status they've got. But no, I don't think we necessarily saw like a huge decline in sales cycle at that point. Got it. And as you look for developers, because you guys are looking for, for talent and you guys have, you know, for the past several years been developing on this platform, are you looking for people with ServiceNow experience? Are there those out there that specifically develop on ServiceNow or are you looking for just more general developers? Does it matter? Both. Both, Both for okay. sure. Um, one of our new teammates is, you know, he's been working on the ServiceNow platform for a couple of years and actually used Vivid Charts quite a bit in his previous role. And he's just a rock star at using the product and knowing how a customer uses it. So there's definitely that need. Uh, and then also just the traditional, you know, computer science developers out of, you know, UK, for example, they bring just a level of talent that we, we haven't had historically. Uh, what what kind of talent are you, are you talking about? Like, do they bring a different perspective or what do you mean by they, they bring a talent you haven't had? Just classically trained. Yeah, like, I gotcha. Okay. Like, you know, if I think about my coding style, I could work through the logic problems and it, the code probably ends up looking like a mess, but it works. Yeah. <laughs> and so then these people, I've already learned a ton from them and you know, I'm coding a lot less these days, but I still enjoy it when I do get to, uh, but yeah, they just, they know how to do things the right way. Yeah. And you're looking for talent, uh, in Kentucky or does it matter? Where have you found talent? I assume you just mentioned there like a university. So which, which universities and is it local? So our product and development team and our engineering team, really, we want to be in Lexington. We want to be able to get on a whiteboard together. We want to get to face-to-face. -to -face. That doesn't mean we're in the office every day and we will we'll never really care about that. But the ability to be so uh, is a big deal for us. And then uh, more of the customer-facing roles, we have a lot more flexibility on where they are. Uh, like we were talking about before the podcast, uh, my co-founder Rob is living in Columbus these days, and uh, we've got another uh, account executive that lives in Columbus, and we'll, we'll probably continue to look in that area just so they could do the same thing. They could get in a room, get in a WeWork, get a get on a whiteboard and figure stuff out. Is there a, you think there's a, a learning curve or a longer ramp up time for an engineer on ServiceNow? Is there, do they need to dive into the weeds of ServiceNow to, to get the job done with you? I think it's more like a philosophical thing, like understanding what service now is because like i said earlier it's one of the biggest companies nobody's ever heard of so it could be a little overwhelming at first but from a development standpoint i think it's a breeze for them once they get their uh you know head around it i think it's very simple compared to the types of things they're used to yeah okay so i always like to transition towards the end uh of these podcasts and talk about 
you know, what it's like to grow a business in Kentucky. Uh, you said you've been bootstrapping for a while. Now you've raised some money from a Kentucky fund here in Lexington, Dan Beldy and, and Airwing. Uh, and we talked about this on your, your first episode, and maybe some things have changed, but what's your perspective of growing a company in Lexington at this point? I think it's awesome. I mean, especially Lexington, I think is just the type of city who really wants to grow the tech scene. Uh, I, I think there's a big pocket of people in Lexington that really want to see the tech scene grow. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, Clay Angeluki, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he helped us find our new office and he's Clay great. Is and, awesome dude. Yeah. He talks about that all the time, just wanting to see that tech scene uh, grow. So it's been great, but largely we've been so heads down and it's something I've done a really bad job of. I, I just haven't networked really well in Kentucky in the tech scene and, I'm trying to get better at it, but we've just been heads down building. Yeah, makes sense. Talk about you know the future of of Vivid Charts. Uh, is it always going to be on ServiceNow? Are there opportunities to do similar apps on uh, Salesforce or uh, Shopify? You know some of these other big platforms. What's what's the opportunity there? Are you looking outside of there yet? So this is like a very pervasive problem across most cloud platforms. Uh, because if you think about why people are buying a service now, and like a lot of their, they have a thousand customers spending more than a million dollars a year with them. So spending a lot of money and they're not buying it for data visualization or reporting. They're buying it for, you know, in this case, service now automating these workflows. Uh, so it's happening all over the place. Uh, and there's definitely an opportunity to expand in the future. And the way we look at it right now is we've got 30 customers. ServiceNow has 7,000. So we're sort of using, we're using this as our proving ground for sure and our breeding ground. And frankly, that's one of the things we loved about Dan. The, the first time I met with him, he didn't question the market size at all. He was like, yeah. you know, even if yeah. you stay in ServiceNow, I've seen this work at company X, Y, and Z on Salesforce. They became a huge company with a great exit and a lot of impact. So yeah, there's a lot of runway, even if we do just stay in ServiceNow, but we, we definitely build our product with the mindset of if we do want to expand to other platforms, let's make it as simple as possible to do so. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the growth rate of cloud in general, and especially these cloud platforms, you know, what you just mentioned, that number, you know, would you say a thousand customers spending a million dollars? Like yep. next year, that's going to be like a thousand and one hundred. Oh, yeah. You know, more, at the probably. rate, yeah, more. at the rate yeah. these people are, are growing. Uh, yeah. Enterprise. Yeah. That, that makes sense to grow faster than that. But at the rate these these companies are growing, like your your TAM just continues to yep. to expand for sure. Because every company is going to have to transition to something like that, right? Yep. I mean, if you've got seventy five percent of the top two thousand companies, then that means the ones that are going to be coming up on them are going to have to be that using it too. One hundred percent, and it's a it's a problem that is just being largely ignored because it's the status quo. So it's it's a really fun place to be in right now. So.